We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the topic is this recent interview between Dr. Phil and Lila Rose and their disagreement over the definition of life as well as the definition of science. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. As I said in the introduction, today's topic is this interview, this debate, this dust-up between Dr. Phil and Lila Rose. It's been all over on the news. Tucker Carlson covered it. The mainstream media has covered it. Lila Rose has been uh, excoriated and ridiculed and mocked by the left, and she's been elevated by those who are pro-life, those on the right side of this issue, if you will, who really, really are grateful for her courage in going into the lion's den and defending the definition of what it means to be a human being. I obviously am on that side of the fence. Now, if you don't know who Lila Rose is, let me remind you before we take a break. Lila Rose is one of the staunch defenders of pro-life. She's all over in the news because she has courage, she has spine, she has backbone, as I've already said. She's very articulate, she's very well-read, she understands what she is talking about, as well as anybody. And she chose to go on with Dr. Phil to have this interview, this debate, this exchange. And I'm going to play a clip of that for you after we take the break, a very brief clip of what took place, and then we are going to pick it apart. Essentially within this context, is Dr. Phil defending science, or has he just betrayed his scientism? Who is relying more on the facts, the scientific evidence, the empirical reality of what science has actually shown us? Who's relying on that as opposed to feelings and opinions and what's popular? Is it Lila Rose, or is it Dr. Phil? That's today's question. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. Before we get into this uh, audio clip that I'm going to play for you with regard to Dr. Phil's engagement with Lila Rose, let's talk about the title, Dr. Phil. Is Dr. Phil a medical doctor? No, he's not. Am I a medical doctor? No, I am not. Uh, Dr. Phil holds a Ph.D. from the University of North Texas. His Ph.D., his discipline, is psychology. He's a clinical psychologist. Now, he is no longer a licensed therapist. He was for a while when he practiced in Texas. But since he's been a media star, the Dr. Phil show and whatnot, he has not renewed that license. So let's just be clear here. Dr. Phil does hold a doctorate, but he is not a medical doctor. I hold a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. 
okay? And I wouldn't pretend to be one. I don't pretend to be a science. Just because I hold a PhD doesn't mean I'm a scientist any more than you are. And likewise, I would argue that Dr. Phil is not a scientist any more than I am or you are. Not a medical doctor. Uh, we need to talk about the nomenclature and these titles and whether or not it's appropriate to carry that label if you're not really a medical doctor. I would argue that if you work in the academy, if you're a college or university president or professor or administrator, that within that arena, within that business, they do carry these titles, Dr. So-and-so. Now, outside of that context, I never, I never pretend to be a doctor. In fact, when people call me Dr. Piper, when I'm out on the road um, engaging in general conversation, I usually tell them, stop calling me that. My academic days are over. I'm not a real doctor. I can't fix anybody, okay? Now, I do use the title for this show because when I was a college president, when I was the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University and was engaged with the media, the title was there. It stuck. And therefore, when I'm engaging in professional communication, whether it be on this show or whether it be in writing, I still use the title because it's my brand ID, if you will. Um, but I never insist on people calling me doctor. In fact, it's arrogant and rude, even within the academy, to force people to call you that. You let others call you that, but you don't impose it upon anyone. So I don't begrudge Dr. Phil for using the title, but I want to explain to you how these titles are appropriately used. Uh, to pretend he's a medical doctor would be totally wrong. To insist on people call him that I think would be a little presumptuous. To let people call you that, fine. You've got the PhD. Um, to use it as brand ID, that's a judgment call. All right, we could spend a whole show on this thing, but I just want to make that clear. Um, so back to the issue of Dr. Phil and his engagement with Lila Rose. Now, setting this up, I want you to understand that this interview was, was conducted within the context of the Dobbs decision. The fact that the Supreme Court has said that abortion should be handed back to the states, the discussion as to whether or not abortion should be legal, should be handed back to the states, and each one of the respective states within America should make their own decisions on this issue. In other words, give the decision back to the people within the respective states, and they'll decide at what stage, if any, it's legal within that state for a woman to get an abortion. Okay, that's the question in play right now. And Lila Rose is arguing the pro-life side of this debate. And Dr. Phil had some comments about that, and I want you to listen to them. Here's the audio clip. No one here is pro-death, and no one here is pro-abortion. The difference is pro-choice and pro-life. Lila, you, you say some things in the predicate of your positions that life begins at fertilization, that science is very clear about that. And you, you have to know science isn't, there, there's no consensus among the scientific community. There is, that, Dr. Phil. 96% no, of scientists not. say that I, life begins at fertilization. If you're I, an in vitro specialist, well, no, you're let, looking to create let me, let me a single cell embryo, and then you know you have a new human life. So it, it is a scientific fact. 
Well, actually, it's not. Well, when do you when do you say human life begins then? There's well, there's, it doesn't matter what I think. I I, I don't care what I think. What I'm saying is well, the scientific community does not have a consensus about when life begins. It's simply and that inaccurate. Is, You're sim it's simply inaccurate. That's not true. You can go to the body. A single of, cell embryo is a unique new human life. You can go to the body of scientific literature and you can find neuroscientists who say that it begins when there is a detectable brainwave. But Dr. Phil, in an abortion, if it's not a human life, why do you have to kill it? I haven't spoken over you and you keep speaking over me. And I assume that's because you don't want me to finish my thought, which is if anyone here wants to fact check me instead of speak over me, you can go to the scientific literature and query what the definition is of the beginning of life and you will find that there are different definitions and it's up to you to decide what you think but there is not a consensus among the scientific community okay so there you have it that's the snippet of this particular interview this debate that i wanted you to hear now stop and think about what dr phil is emphasizing here. He keeps saying consensus. He's arguing that there is not a consensus within the scientific community. And um, is that true? Lila Rose is saying it's not true. She's saying that 96% of the scientists who are surveyed say that life begins at conception, at fertilization. That scientifically, biologically, genetically, that's a new life. Dr. Phil is saying that's not true that there is no consensus. Well, the first question I have is this. What's the definition of a consensus? Dr. Phil's the one that keeps using that word. Well, a consensus is a general agreement. Did you know that? Consensus is not the majority. Consensus is not 51%. Consensus is not unanimity. It's not unanimous. Consensus is general agreement. Now, the general agreement as to what a consensus is, is that it's approximately 75%. If you have 75% of the folks involved in a given survey or debate or conversation, if you can get 75% of those people to agree to move in a given direction, that's a consensus. Now, Lila Rose is pointing out to Dr. Phil that 96% of the scientists, when surveyed, agree that life begins at conception, at fertilization. Again, biologically, genetically, this is a new and different life. Less mature, yes, but a new and different life that is growing separate from the mother and the father that conceived that life, that gave the beginning, the start of that life to this new human being. Okay? So I would ask Dr. Phil, what are you talking about? There's no consensus. Isn't 96% agreement consensus? Now you notice he dodges that. When Lila Rose confronts him with that, he talks over the top of her while accusing her of doing that to him. Again, this projection. He commits the sin that he's accusing her of committing. Uh, that's another thing that bothers me about this. So he doesn't define consensus. In fact, he apparently doesn't understand it because he ignores the fact that 96% would indeed be a consensus in spades. And then he talks over the top of Lila Rose, interrupts her while he 
mansplains to her what a consensus is, and he clearly doesn't understand. So uh, here's my point. So this dust-up between Lila Rose and Dr. Phil is really over the definition of science, consensus, and the definition of life. So uh, my paraphrase is this. Lila Rose says the science is clear. Life begins at conception. This is simply a genetic and biological fact. Okay, that's what she's saying. Dr. Phil's saying, no, that's not true. There is no consensus. Life doesn't begin until we, the scientists, decide it does. That's a summary of what he just said. And again, I consider this to be mansplaining at its finest. <laughs> the feminists out there listening to me right now or watching this, who are watching this video um, or listening to this audio, where is your concern over this mansplaining? This guy who's using the title doctor when he's not a medical doctor. Again, he can use the title, but he's not a scientist. No more than I am. Um, he is apparently saying no one decides anything other than the smart men like me, who clearly know so much more than silly women like you, who disagree with me. Even when that woman obviously knows more about the definition of consensus and the definition of science than apparently Dr. Phil does. So it's clearly an elevation of feelings over facts. I mean, listen to what Dr. Phil is saying. We decide when life begins. He said that. We decide, not science. And he's not even allowing the consensus to decide because, I'm going to repeat myself, 96% is a consensus in spades. He's ignoring that. He won't deal with that. And when he says go to the, go to the scientific literature, he doesn't even tell you what literature he's talking about. He's basically saying go Google it and you can find some answer out there that agrees with me and therefore there's a consensus that the smart folks disagree with you dumb folks like Lila Rose. Again, this is emotions trumping reality. And this is what I've called before on this show, scientism over science. And I'm not the one who coined that word. Uh, scientism goes back to C.S. Lewis. It goes back to G.K. Chesterton. It goes back to people who saw the rise of this religion of scientism that would trump the reality, the empirical evidence, of science. Now, the interesting thing in this debate is Lila Rose, who isn't calling herself a doctor, is really proving herself to be the scientist in this discussion, while Dr. Phil is the one who is elevating emotions and opinions over the empirical evidence, the facts, and the true scientific consensus. All right. I've talked to, this, talked to you about this before, but I want to emphasize G.K. Chesterton in the early 1900s. He, he saw that the Dr. Phil's of his day were only too willing to use their arbitrary definitions, arbitrary definitions of science, to justify what was really a pretty pernicious philosophy. Okay, Philosophy is important here because Dr. Phil's doctorate is in philosophy. It's a PhD. It's not in science. So listen to what G.K. Chesterton says as he is prophetic and he's predicting the worldviews that were on the rise, these subjective opinions that were couched in 
scientific language, but what Chesterton was saying, this, this isn't science. It's a religious zeal behind this stuff. Chesterton said this, I never said a word against eminent men of science. What I complain of is a vague popular philosophy, which supposes itself to be scientific, when it really is nothing but a sort of new religion and an uncommonly nasty one. G.K. Chesterton, early 1900s. So he saw it coming. He said, I'm not complaining about science. I've never said a word against the eminent men of science, the 96% that Lila Rose is citing. I'm not talking against them. He said, what I'm complaining about is this vague popular philosophy that supposes itself to be scientific when it's really nothing of the sort. It's a new religion and a really nasty one. G.K. Chesterton. Now, what, what we really have here is Chesterton basically saying that when you take science and presume that it has any say in the moral arena, you might be making a mistake. Uh, Chesterton went on and said this, to mix science up with philosophy is only to produce a philosophy that has lost all its ideal value and a science that has lost all of its practical value. It is for my private physician, said Chesterton, to tell me whether this or that food will kill me. It's for my private philosopher, i.e. my priest or my pastor, to tell me whether I ought to be killed. So he's telling us, be careful of this stuff. Scientists should not tell us who should live and who should die. And they also should just stick to the empirical facts and not venture into this uh, land of opinions, of feelings, of subjective notions of what should live and what should die. They shouldn't venture into that territory because that is very dangerous. It's a very dangerous place to be. So Chesterton knew that science could answer the questions of mathematics and medicine, but he was also very well aware that it had nothing to say about meaning. You get that? He warned that scientific progress, consensus, even though, again, Dr. Phil doesn't even understand what consensus is, but for the sake of argument, Chesterton was warning that scientific progress, consensus, unrestrained by the sacred, by sacred principles, biblical worldview, that this whole thing was fraught with dangers. For example, he said that survival of the fittest may be an interesting academic discussion when you apply it to a vegetable or an animal or a mineral, but when you decide that you're going to practice it on people, it has some consequences that are nothing short of horrifying. Now, Chesterton wasn't the only one to talk about this. Uh, C.S. Lewis comes along a generation later, and he labeled the rise of scientism as a very, very dangerous thing. And he warned of dystopias where the public policy and even moral and religious beliefs would be dictated by professors and politicians who were only too eager to assume the role of our new cultural high priests. So Lewis comes along and he agrees with Chesterton's warning and that these dystopias that we're ushering in, these Orwellian and Huxleyan dystopias, are being directed by people that have PhDs and by politicians who are really all too willing 
to take on the role of our new high priests in this new religion of scientism. Lewis warned of this in Hideous Strength, where he said we should be thinking about the obvious Dr. Phil question. (laughs) Okay, if I can use that. Lewis asks this, after two world wars in which scientism has brought us the advancements of eugenics and the mass slaughter of millions of people via ballistic rockets and atomic bombs, how's that new man-made religion working for you? How's that new man-made God panning out? So in The Hideous Strength, Lewis is asking a Dr. Phil question, a rhetorical question. He's saying, You know, we've watched the consequences of the rise of scientism, the advancement of eugenics, and the mass slaughter of millions of people. But how's it working for us? Is scientism really the religion that it was cracked up to be? He goes on and says this, The physical sciences, good and innocent in themselves, have been subtly maneuvered in a certain direction. Despair of objective truth has been increasingly insinuated into scientism, Concentration upon mere power has been the result. That's a quote from Lewis. He knew that if those who fancied themselves the fittest, uh, I'm going to say the Dr. Phil's of the world, if these people were unhampered by any objective understanding of what's right and wrong, any objective understanding of what life is and what isn't, I mean, listen to what Dr. Phil is arguing. He's saying that life is a matter of opinion, and that we decide when it begins, not science. Apparently, Dr. Phil and the proponents from the National Association of Women and uh, NARAL, and, and the list goes on, apparently these people are the ones who are going to decide what's living and what's not. Not 96% of the scientists out there who really understand biology and physiology and genetics. We decide, not reality, not science, and not even God. Again, Lewis understood that for those who fancied themselves, the fittest, the smart folks, the elites, the oligarchs, you know, those people that can tell all of us rubes in the heartland that we're too stupid, those men that will mansplain to all the women, like Lila Rose, when these elites are unhampered by any objective understanding of right and wrong, the quest for power is always going to lead to some sort of Orwellian nightmare rather than this paradise that these people seem to be promising us. The list of the people that have warned of this inevitable consequence of scientism doesn't stop with Chesterton and Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, T.S. Eliot, Huxley, Orwell. All of these people warned of a brave new world, to steal that language from Huxley, where nothing is valued other than eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're going to die. And this whole broken worldview exposes the fact that this is really nothing but hedonism and and materialism to the extreme. Uh, It's the lesson of Narcissus that I've talked about frequently. You know, that timeless lesson of the Greek god Narcissus as he stands on the river's edge. He's gazing at his own reflection. And he's consumed with himself to such an extreme that his emotions take over as he fancies himself more beautiful and desirable and smarter than Zeus, Apollo, or even Bacchus. And then he slips and he falls in and he drowns. His self-infatuation 
essentially results in his own death. You could call it a suicide of sorts. Um, all right. So here's my summary. I would argue that even though Dr. Phil is somewhat pleasant to listen to, he sounds patient and he sounds like a good therapist, right? There's a lot of hubris and arrogance. I would argue it's palpable in the way he handles Lila Rose. Uh, again, I've said mansplaining a couple different times because I would argue that this is clearly a textbook example of it. He's talking down to her. He's implicitly elevating himself as a scientist and suggesting that she's not. He repeatedly says that she doesn't understand what the consensus really is when he's the one who doesn't even understand what the definition of consensus is because 96% certainly is a consensus. He ignores that because she's caught him. And on the horns of that dilemma, he starts mansplaining and using scientific language, telling her to go read the body of literature and query it accordingly. Do you hear his co-option of that scientific nomenclature, body of literature, querying, consensus? No, just because he's using those words means nothing. It doesn't mean he understands those words or that they're being applied properly. Uh, he's standing on the proverbial pool's edge. He's mesmerized by his own image. And he is going to slip in and drown. He, he's acting like the Greek god, Narcissus. And here's my warning. Here's my conclusion. When we as a culture deny the empirical and elevate the emotional, like Dr. Phil is doing, it, it's as if we're boasting about our feelings and we don't care about the facts. And we're elevating our libido rather than our Lord as the definer of what life is or isn't, what science is or isn't, and even the definition of a consensus, what it is and what it isn't. It's as if we've declared that Copernicus is wrong and we're geocentrists now. You know, the earth is the center of everything and the sun around, uh, revolves around it. We are the center of everything and everything else revol revolves around us. We're proclaiming that there is no sun, S-O-N, yes, I'm spelling that right, and therefore we declare ourselves to be the center of the universe. In other words, we're saying, science be damned, we're all going to worship in the temple of scientism now, and we are its gods. Dr. Phil is the new god. The National Organization of Women is the new god. Everybody who believes that life can be subjectively defined by our opinions and our emotions, these are the gods we will now worship in the temple of scientism. Because we don't believe in science any longer. We're going to deny it. And we're going to elevate this new religion of scientism over and above the empirical, the factual, the objective, and the true. And we're just going to start worshiping our own opinions. That's the scientism of Dr. Phil. That's the denial of God and the elevation of a bunch of little gods over and above what is true and right and real and actual science. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. <laughs>